Tonga Tonga. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of People of Glasgow. I'm your host in Svengali, Raymond Williams, and in this episode I talk to Kel Murta. Kel has won multiple awards for public speaking and he helps people improve their skills through his company, Confidence by Design. Show notes for this episode are available at peopleofglasgow.co.uk forward slash 10. That's the number 10, not the word. To contact the show, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or email us at poglasgow at gmail.com. And now, on to the episode. So, if we can start chronologically, you can just map out the road that led you to found Confidence by Design. Yeah, sure. So, this all began for me about three years ago, almost exactly. I was a psychology student studying at Strathclyde, and I don't know if you've met many psychology students before, Raymond, but they don't tend to know what they're doing with their life, you know? They either want to be a psychologist or they have no idea, they're trying to figure themselves out. And I was one of those guys, um, so I had no clue. And come third year, this really started to stress me out, like I think it does for a lot of, you know, graduates. Uh, we get sent to university, we don't necessarily want to be there, but we need to figure out what we're going to do by the end of it. So I decided what I'm going to do to tackle this issue is just try a bunch of different things. So I did a bunch of different jobs and activities. Uh, This ranged from being a a summer camp leader in in a German forest for kids, all the way through to being a lifeguard at a nudist swimming pool here in Glasgow, full of old people. So I've seen some things. (laughs) But after the lifeguarding days, thankfully, I came across an even stranger place with some strange people doing a lot of talking. It was at a speakers club. Have you ever been to one of them before, Raymond? No, no, I've looked into it, but I've still never been. Okay, so basically it's a safe place people practice their public speaking skills. And at these clubs, they always encourage their members to do something called a table topic. Have you heard of this before? No. Basically what it is, is it's a question. And it can be on anything from the history of Glasgow to where babies come from. You don't really know what's coming at you. But you have to answer that in the form of a speech for two minutes, no prep, in front of a room full of strangers, yeah. So when my name was called out for this, I'm not too chuffed at all, especially when I hear what my topic is for the evening. And it was this, if a zombie apocalypse happened in Glasgow, where would you go? Oh my god, what the f- You know, I I couldn't believe it. But I found myself up there staring at all these people staring back at me. And after what felt like literally years, I came out with a two-word response. The pub. And then I sat back down. And and that was my first ever experience of public speaking. But I did go back. And the second time did go better than the first. It wouldn't be hard, right? And the third went a little bit better than the second. And after just six months of really just facing that fear I had for public speaking head on, I started to not only overcome that, but I started to enjoy it a lot more as well. And then at that point, a lady in the audience who worked for Strathclyde University actually offered me a job speaking to her first year students paid. So that was my kind of first job, first paid speaking engagement. And it led to more work and more work. And I'm still a student at the time myself. Now I have these things called clients. I start competing in competitions, have success there. And it it gets to that point just before I'm about to graduate where I realize I can make a business out of this. And, And that's what I've been doing for the last 15 months now. And that's what started. Confidence by design. <laughs> so you'd mentioned on your website that you're a bit shy and anxious when you were younger. Was it that that helped shift it or was it something else? 
Well, the the confidence side, that's something which which stems quite further back for me when I was really in school, to be honest. And it, it's something I've had to work very hard on for maybe about eight, nine years, actually, developing my confidence before I even got to the speaking part. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I've progressed in speaking quite fast, because I had that foundation of, of confidence at the start. So it was really, it wasn't necessarily the speaking which helped me become more confident. I had that sort of foundation in place. And then the speaking just gave me a purpose or somewhere to put this, you know, somewhere to, to help people. I kind of rode to go by. I had a, had a vision now, uh, which is what we all need at the end of the day. So what would you suggest for people who are kind of shy and anxious and obviously don't want to be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any recommendations you could give them? Mm-hmm. In, t- in terms of building their confidence? Is that- yeah. Well, well, for me, what I started with was the body, right? Because it's a physical thing, it's, it's very easy to get your head around. And there's a lot of research showing now that the body and the mind are very much connected. So the way you hold your body is going to determine how you feel a lot of the time. So what I used to do when I was really anxious, I was I was so anxious, I was I was um, I was you know clamming up all the time, I was making myself small. I just looked like a nervous wreck all the time. I was scared about what people were thinking. They probably weren't even thinking about me. So what I decided to do was slowly change my body language a little bit. So just changing how I held myself, just getting my shoulders back, head up, and just being in what I found at the time uncomfortable situations, but pretending to be confident in that really just helped me make a very, very slow transition um, until eventually that became my normal form of body language and therefore helped my way of thinking as well. And then you can start to think about, you know, your self-image and tackle that side. But I would start with the body, thinking about how you can just change your body language to feel more confident in certain situations. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I think it's a lot of something that people get kind of back to front. Mm-hmm. Then you can change the mental side of it and then yeah. act more confident. Yeah, whereas, you yeah. know, you it's easier to focus on the body first before there's a lot going on up here, you know, but you can see what's happening here. And if you can make those physical changes and you're seeing the changes, that helps just to get you started, you know, and then you can really start to tackle the demons. <laughs> so as far as the act of giving a, a speech, what would you say the main components of a good speech are? Of a good speech? Well, I think probably the main components of a good speech for me is it's got to have some sort of impactful opening. It's got to have something which which draws you in, which makes you want to hear more. It's got to have that sort of beginning to it. And then in the middle, there's got to be tremendous value. There's got to be something where people walk away and think, wow, I learned something there today. I didn't think like that before. This is something I can use later on. And then I think just to round it off, the end, the end has got to have a message. It's got to be a call to action, something where you actually get your audience to act on your words. Because that's why we present at the end of the day, to cause things, right? To to cause people to buy a product or service, to make people change their way of thinking, to take your, your staff, your team to make them do things in a different way we're trying to do something with it and that's what you need at the end a real strong call to action which ties into the whole theme of the speech so those are my my three a very um a very intriguing opening value in the middle and a big bang at the end (laughs) do you pay any attention to the the language in the sense of the things like repetition alliteration like things that politicians use i think it's kind of a bit overused now and it makes them sound quite false. Do you pay much attention to those kind of things? And you're writing a speech. 
Yeah, well, this is something I, I'm going back and forth with a lot nowadays, whether it's a good idea to write a speech or whether it's good to just practice and see what comes out quite naturally. Because really what you're having is you're having a conversation with people. And I find if you start writing things, it does sound quite scripted, and that's not what you want too much of the time. But then there's a lot of merit in that too, because you get some things like repetition. The best speech ever known, I have a dream. It has that repetition. So that kind of goes right against the buck altogether. I think, yeah, it's something to pay attention to. But the key here is when you say it, when you say your repetition, when you say your planned phrase, it needs to sound like it's the first ever time you've said it. And that's the hard bit. I think the key, whether you don't you don't write it and you just go for it, or whether you write it and then work on it, I think the key fundamental uh, skill in terms of being successful is rehearsal. You have to practice your speech, whatever method you choose. It's that time you spend with yourself, working it through, talking it through, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, and that's what's really going to give you the best rewards at the end of the day. Uh, I guess to the other side of that, what are the most common mistakes people make in giving a speech? Most common mistakes are saying at the very beginning, uh, I'm not very good at this, please go easy on me. That's pretty dreadful. Another common mistake is when I'm in the room, people say, I can't believe the public speaking guy is here. That's, that's another annoying one. <laughs> but other things are like body language. Um, people, they don't use their hands at all. They don't smile at their audience. They often have a stoned face usually because of nerves, but it just makes them look like they don't want to be there. And therefore, how can the audience be interested in what they're talking about? Then there's voice as well. People, I mean, your voice is the most powerful thing you can use. and People just don't vary it in any way. They just speak in the same tone through the entire time. Imagine if we did this whole podcast like this, Raymond. It wouldn't be too good, would it? But you need to vary your voice, vary the volume, vary your tonality. This is how you evoke emotions and impact people. So those are really some things. The body language and voice are the classics. The one I seem to notice is the people who kind of fall back in the presentation and it's almost like they've got the PowerPoint up. Uh, so they pay attention to nothing else yeah, and so they stand and read it. Yeah. Like someone just reading their own presentation is, is right, brilliant. Yeah. It could be the most interesting subject in the world, but it's not delivered. Oh, 100%, well, it's, it's yeah. pretty painful to listen to. 100%, yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing. People often are led by their notes or their presentation instead of them leading the PowerPoint. The PowerPoint leads them. You need to avoid that as well. Eye contact's huge. That's another part of body language, and people just don't look their audience in the eye. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it'd be strange if I was looking at your shoes right now, Raymond. Like I am, in, for people who are listening, I am doing that right now, and it's a bit awkward. You know, but we do that all the time because we're looking at our notes, we're looking at our PowerPoint, look people in the eye. Um, so that's what I try and help people become aware of and then eventually do. And what, when you're teaching these people, do you pay much attention to their actual prep for the day of their speech? Like, so how do you prepare to give one and what kind of things do you teach them? Is it, is it similar to what you do? Um, well, everybody's got their own their own sort of rituals that they might want to do beforehand. Some people are superstitious. I try not to be. I don't think that's a good path to go down. You'll end up wearing lucky socks that you never wash and all these things. You don't want to get involved in that. <laughs> but what I would say for people is that do the work. If you've done the work, if you've put the, the hours of preparation in, because there's no point sugarcoating it. It takes a lot of time to deliver a good speech. There's a lot of hours go behind it that the audience will never see, and it's essential to do that. But the other thing you can do in your prep is prepare for when things might go wrong. 
So this is public speaking. Things go wrong all the time. Maybe your microphone cuts off. Maybe the slideshow stops, it fails. You know, maybe you stutter a little bit. Maybe you forget your lines. Maybe you go completely blank. These are all possible and they've all happened to me. But what you've got to try and do is prepare, plan how you would react to those situations occurring. So plan what you're going to do if you fluff your lines, if you lose your place. Are you going to panic or are you going to... Take a deep breath, reset, and then go from there, right? So if you can plan your reaction and see that happening and see you overcoming that, it helps you because you've overcome it so many times in your mind before that when it happens on the day, it's not that bad. So it was the, the blanking was the one that always gave me the fear. I remember that at uni, going up to give a speech. It's only in front of about seven or eight people, you know, nothing. And standing up there and getting to me and just like, I've read this script a few times. It's in there somewhere. Or I can't find it. And just standing there staring at everyone. It's, yeah, it's horrible. It happens to the best of us. It really does. <laughs> yeah, so uh, after the act of giving a speech, how mm. do you evaluate your own performance? It depends what I was looking to achieve in the first place. You know, if it's, for instance, a humorous speech, if I didn't get a lot of laughs, then that's a good indicator it did not work out, you know? But it's, it's really, you have to go into my, and this is probably something essential for going into a speech as well. Have in mind what you want to achieve, because that's what you judge your performance on. That's at the end of the day where you can say it worked or it did not. If you want to motivate people, how did the audience react? Have they come up to you afterwards? Are they talking about what you said? Do you see in their eyes that something has occurred here? You know, if it's actually them taking action on something, buying a product or service, well, how many people approached you afterwards to inquire? You know, that's a key indicator right there. If it's a case of getting your team to do something new, well, actually talk to them. And, and this is a big thing as well, feedback forms. Feedback forms, I like to hand them out to the audience, a rating out of 10, also comments as well, and potentially where points where you could improve. Include that, and that's a great indicator for telling you how you actually did. Because sometimes people are hard to read, you know. You, I've looked at people before and I think, Oh, they're gonna they're gonna get an assassination on me after this. And they've loved my presentation. You just can't always tell what people are thinking, but feedback form illuminates all. So that's probably the best way to go about it. Have your feedback form and then judge yourself in terms of whether your content did go down the way you wanted, did it flow the way you wanted? You could spend all day thinking about it. But at the end of the day, take what you can, think about what went well, see where you can potentially improve and then build on that for the future. And I know you can only do this roughly. How many speeches do you think you've given? Uh, different ones or just in general? Just in general. Um, I would say I'm definitely over the 100 mark now, I would say. I don't know. This is the exciting thing for me, Raymond. So I've only been doing this for three years and I feel I'm well off my 10,000 hours. Um, so I think there's a lot more I've got to, to give in this field. But yes, I think around 100 perhaps we might be talking, um, but I can't be. I can't be sure for sure. <laughs> That's kind of a set off my next question. Do you still get nervous? You know, I used to about a year ago, but I think it's pretty much faded away now. I mean, I instead of interpreting the nerves as being anxious, I like to interpret it as I'm excited, right? That feeling. So I'm just kind of telling myself now I'm excited. So maybe I do still get the butterflies a little bit if it's a big, big audience. Um, but I'm just excited about it now. You know, I'm not nervous anymore. So not not too much. People are. Most people are terrified of giving mm. a speech. Famous thing about people would choose death over public speaking. What yeah. do you think the reason is for that? 
I think it comes down to confidence. I think it comes down to people's confidence because really if you're the most confident person in the world, then you're not gonna mind standing up there in front of, you know, a hundred people, a million people. It doesn't really matter to you. You believe in yourself, you believe in your values, you know who you are. It doesn't matter what these people think. But we obviously do have a problem with that. Therefore you have a we have a confidence problem deep down. And I, th- I think that's the real issue. People are not fully comfortable with themselves. Therefore, they're not comfortable being an extension of themselves up there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's not an easy problem to solve. It's not. It takes a lot of work. And this is why I said before, because I worked eight years of my confidence, I think it gave me a good foundation going into speaking, you know, and by that point, it was just a case of getting used to that feeling of being up there, the eyes on you. And then eventually got through that. And there we are. I suppose you hear about these things, people just, it's exposure, isn't it? There's like all these things from, you know, secret service agents getting trained. Have you ever seen them videos of being attacked by dogs and they've got like padded suits on? All right. They just do it again and again and again. Yes. Heart rate stays level, which is uh-huh. pretty insane. But like you say, it's not an easy thing to train. You can't just it's go the best on a bus way and start any fear It really is exposure, experiencing it. It's, it's hard, but if you face it, there's a reason there's that phrase, you know, face your fears. There's a reason behind that. Also, I saw from your website you've won quite a few competitions for your speeches. How do those kind of competitions work? Like, what's the general format to them, if if they're similar? Mm-hmm. There's lots of different competitions. So, for a normal speech competition, it's basically a range of different speakers. Can be as little, depending on what round you're at. If you're at the top round, it's usually ten different speakers. They've all got their own individual speech, and there's a panel of judges. And they judge this presentation based on the content, um, the value it brought, and also mainly what you'd like to think, the delivery, because it's actually about public speaking. So how you deliver that message to the audience. So it's very opinionated, right? It's very much subjective. They decide based on what they think, and it's a, uh, a point system. So your first place gets three points, second two, third one and they tally up and whoever has the most points wins the competition and it's the same judging format for all of them but the competitions can change a little bit so that's the speech competition but you get other things called speech evaluation competition so this is where i guess it'll be even more complicated a speaker will come up they're called a test speaker and they'll deliver a speech and then there'll be 10 evaluators 10 competitors who will each evaluate that speech They'll be taken out the room so they won't see another person's evaluation, but they'll give their own evaluation in terms of what the speaker did well and where they can improve. Best evaluator wins. And uh, really the last one is the table topics. You remember I mentioned before, there's a competition around that as well. The same basic premise. So that's how they work. Um, and they're hard to win. They are, they are quite difficult because it just it could go any way you know if if you speak about dinosaurs there could be a guy who likes digging up dinosaurs as a judge and <laughs> you win that you know what i mean um so you really you really don't know but you just have to give yourself the best chance possible and see what happens but either way win or lose you always take something from it and that's why i do it because it's the best way to progress okay is there much difference between those and the impromptu uh, competition the one that you won, is, is that much of a different format? Is that pretty much the same? It's more or less the, the same, except you're given a topic. Everyone's given the same topic. Once again, all competitors are taken out of the room. They come in one at a time and are told the topic. So um, it could be on 
water supplies in Scotland. And each of us would have to deliver a two-minute speech on that in front of our room, about 200 people. Um, so it's quite high stakes. That's a tough one because you really don't know what's coming. The adrenaline's high. You've got to also stay calm and listen carefully to what the, the, the speaker is asking you so that you can really take on board the topic and then you, you go out and deliver that. So last year, I, or this year actually, I, I got to the UK and Ireland finals top six, but I didn't place, uh, rightfully so. I got well beat there. <laughs> but I took a lot from that. I took a lot from that. And a big part of it as well is you, you've got to try and be funny in these moments. Humor is fantastic and it's something I'm really starting to work a lot more on myself in my own speaking and, and it showed me that. So lessons and failure as always. Actually, I'm going to ask you this earlier about the workshops that you run. What kind of structure do they have? They're all different. So the one I'm doing on Friday is on storytelling. They're interactive, so I don't just like to do the talking. I think that gets quite boring after a while. Um, so I get people to come up and actually get to practice their presentation skills, and they receive feedback from the group. And we're learning different skills. So th this um, Friday, we're going to learn about the six key principles of effective storytelling. Remember how I said about the hook uh, earlier? We're going to look at that, how to deliver an impactful message at the end, how to set the scene well, how to create conflict so people are intrigued. Lots of different things, and the group will get to practice that. It's usually smaller groups, six to eight people, and it's a good place just to, to get exposure. That's what we're talking about before. It's an opportunity for exposure in a safe environment and uh, with someone who can guide you in terms of what to do. So that's how they, they tend to work. I've got other ones which are on more business presentations, presentation skills, and they're coming up in November. Um, but they're great fun, and people always leave feeling energized and, and more confident than they walked in. That's the ultimate goal, to improve their confidence and competence in speaking. And I can't remember now off the top of my head, if it's normally the same location you use in Glasgow or not, I think you're in the Virgin Lounge at some point, is that yes, regular? Yes, it's in the Virgin Money Lounge usually uh, right now. I'm actually going over to Edinburgh uh, soon as well with workshops. I just had one last week and um, it went quite well. I'm going to be doing another one in the Clydesdale Bank on George Street in Edinburgh as well. So there, and yeah, in Glasgow, the Virgin Money Lounge, uh, they've been good to me and it's a great venue, it's a great location. I, I really can't complain. I'm very, very thankful to the Virgin Money Lounge. Is that the Thank one you, Branson. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one in the videos that looks like a living room? Or is that somewhere else? Um, sure yeah, there's, so there's two floors. Uh, one where you're seeing the bookshelves, I think. Um, yes, there's that. And then there's a floor called the community room. And it's a bit more boardroom style up there as well. Okay, you mentioned that I have a dream speech earlier. Who are your favourite speakers? Speechwriters, favorite speeches, etc. My favorite speaker is Les Brown. I think he is probably the greatest of all time. And the reason for that is Les is a is a pure speaker. He's not someone who was an athlete and then became a speaker, or was a successful business person and then became a speaker. No, he became a speaker for being a speaker. You know what I mean? It's that sort of way, and he's just got a way about him, the way he holds an audience's attention, the way he tells his stories, the way he makes people laugh, keeps people engaged, and then gives them tremendous value. He actually in he inspires me a lot, and he inspires millions of people, has inspired millions of people, and I, I just think he's a phenomenon. I really do. Okay, I'll need to check him out. That's us down to the final question then, so... For the listeners, are there any websites, books, resources, anything you'd recommend to check out? 
Yeah, I mean, well, you can check out my website, confidencebydesign.co.uk. Um, in terms of resources, there's a great book by Ted right now on public speaking. Um, they kind of analyze a lot of the presentations that have been done in TED and give you ideas in terms of how, what you could do with your presentations. I'm reading that right now. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always putting up videos on there where people, just little hints and tips. Some are from my workshops, some are, some are just me uh, filming in different locations. I'm just trying to give people a lot of value because I think everybody should be able to feel confident when they go up and present. I think that's it's something which not only... Um, is it going to happen in the workplace? You're going to have to face it at some point, but it's something, it can actually propel you to help you become more confident. You know, if you can speak in front of 100 people, all of a sudden going to a networking event isn't that bad. Going to a party isn't that bad with people you don't know. You know, even taking out the bins is a bit of a breeze. There's so many avenues that it transcends into just by being more effective in the way you communicate on stage. Okay, that's a good place to wrap up then, Kyle. So thanks very much. Super, no problem. Thank you for having me on, Raymond. Appreciate it.